Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And while this episode isn't quite as exciting as last week's, we still have quite a bit to cover. And honestly, I think it would take a meteor shower to <laughs> to be a more exciting episode than last week's. <laughs> yeah, it would take a lot to to top all the news that we had over the last couple of weeks, honestly. Yeah. Like, like we've been pretty content rich for the dead period for college sports. Much so... to the detriment of wanting to have a few guests on. <laughs> It, it really could happen to anybody, honestly. Really could But, yeah. Yeah. We're going to cover a little bit of football recruiting, some men's catsketball news, and then finally going over the media day, the Big 12 media day and what we learned there. And then finally, you all know it, you all love it. It's the wacky segment of the week. But let's firstly open up with the Kansas State football recruiting news brought to you by the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, Neon Alley Cats, and Doom Tank Clan. Please be sure to take a look and check the link in our Twitter bio at Aggieville Cats to go ahead and purchase your merch today. But the brand new commit for the football team is Jackson Fulmer, the six foot five, 267 pound O lineman from Idaho. And I believe he was ranked what, like the second or third best player in Idaho, or was he the first? Um, he's third, it looks like, but he is the number one offensive lineman, if that makes a difference. Granted, there are only four players in the composite ranked from Idaho. Yeah. So there, there is that, but. Yeah, he's, he's a three-star offensive lineman ranked as a tackle right now after playing exactly one year of offensive line. And yeah, that kind of tells you where it, we're at. Yeah, that that takes that takes him as a prospect from being like moderately interesting to very interesting, I feel like, is that mm-hmm. ceiling. Yeah, because he's an all-state lineman in Idaho after playing offensive line for a single year. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's incredible, honestly, that like when you look at his highlight film, you're like, oh, no, he's, he's pretty good. But when you get the context of him having played offensive line for a single year and being put at one of the most difficult spots on the offensive line at left tackle, yeah, then all of a sudden you go from thinking that he's like, okay, to having an incredible ceiling and being shocked that he was as good as he was with just one year experience at the position. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the first and foremost thing on the evaluation we have is he's kind of the ultimate blank slate in terms of an offensive line prospect because he hasn't been developing long enough to have any bad habits, but he also hasn't been developing long enough to really have any insanely good ones either. Technically, he's he's raw is is the nice way of putting it, it which you know, if, if you know the definition of, of raw when it comes to recruits, it's it's oftentimes somewhat difficult to look at. But again, only playing this position for a year. But that could be overcome if you're willing to learn and also you are freaky athletic. And that is something that Jackson Fulmer has in spades. At, at six foot five, 267 pounds, he moves like he's a lot lighter. He's able to stonewall people who are much, who you would think would be much faster than him based on how small they are, but he's able to mirror them with lateral agility very, very well. It's just the technique that hasn't followed him yet. 
Uh, he's going to an offensive line room coached by Connor Riley. <laughs> yeah, and, and he has, uh, you, you could say he has a pretty good track record so far at K-State. That's yeah. put it mildly. Yeah, you could, you could make a somewhat convincing argument for that. And then another bit of the evaluation is he's always looking for people to block. He's not just a type of player that's just going to, okay, well, there's no one in front of me or, oh, I knocked this guy off the path for the run necessary. I, I guess my job is done. No, he's someone who looks for work even in pass protection, which I think that's an underrated part and kind of why I view him to not to get ahead of ourselves. I view him a bit more as a guard, even though he is an old, like the blank slate prospect. I could see a world where he develops into a legit right tackle. I'm not sure I'd want him at left. Um, not because I don't think he could do it, but because I prefer right tackles to be more of the maulers and left tackles to be more of the, the finesse guys. But, or you could do both, you know, that'd be fine too. But <laughs> yeah, go, I'd allow it. Yeah. Guards who look for work in pass protection are sometimes pretty rare to find, especially because, you know, if they, say someone's coming in on a stunt in front of them, they're just going to be focused on the guy who's heading right towards their face, not necessarily the guy who's running the over on that. And he's not someone that's going to let that go with, without touching them at least, you know, but yeah. Right. So what, what do you, now that we have that, that long list out of the way, I, I like him better. If I were to pick a position for him, I'd probably put him at right guard. Where would you put him? Yeah, I think right guard is a good home for him. I think he could be a left guard as well. I, I think interior is probably the eventual home for him, but that's not to say he couldn't be a tackle if needed because yeah. I think that he could. I think, ironically, the only place I wouldn't want him in college is the position he plays in high school, which is left, left tackle. Because he is long enough and has the size to play right tackle. Uh, I think that he could do it at the college level, but part of the issue with that is that we just took three tackles last year uh, with Jalen Clem, uh, John Pastor, and Drake Beckwith. So there's probably not room for Jackson Fulmer in the tackle room pending an injury of some sort. So I think interior is probably the home for him in the long term, but he's flexible. Yeah, even if Beckwith kicks inside like we kind of project he does, you still yeah. have names like Kingsley Ugu, um, yeah. uh, Whit Mitchum, Sam Shields, you Andrew Linegang. <laughs> yeah, you you got a pretty beefy list of people in front of him at tackle, and I think there's a better, like a clearer path to playing time on the inside, and also I think his skill set fits it just a little bit better. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, inside's probably best for him in the long term. I think a line where he is forced into playing on the inside rather than him having to play on the outside is going to be a really great offensive line where yeah. you now it's like you could play him outside, but that'd be more of a necessity like because of injury or low performance or whatever, but a line where you can kind of plug him in at whatever interior position you don't already have somebody at. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the sound of that. Yeah. And the worst case scenario for him for me is being the sixth swing guy, which is basically just the offensive lineman who you can come in for brief sub packages, making sure that you got guys fresh. He was uh, it's the role that if you're familiar with Mike Remmers, that's the role he played for the chiefs when he was on them for what, like one year. And then he got forced in the right tackle role in the super bowl, which granted no one played well during that game, but 
He was, Remmers was a solid swing tackle or a swing lineman. He could play anywhere. That's kind of where I view Jackson Fulmer. Like, I feel like that's the worst case scenario for him. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a great role for him because he does have the size and frame, I think, to play any of, uh, of the spots. And I, I'd like to see him as a sub package guy. Uh, and that's a great way for him to get him on the that's a great way to get him on the field early in his career as well is as a, a sort of swing man. But yeah, welcome to the family, Jackson Fulmer. And now just a small itty bitty bit of men's basketball news. There was it was released. Actually, you can cover this. Uh, yeah, um, just released today. So a day ago at this point when uh, this episode releases, it was announced that uh, men's basketball they're going to be playing a home and home series with uh, University of California, better known as Cal. Uh, this this year is going to be an away game um, out in Berkeley, and then sometime in the near future, I think they said 2024, 25, uh, they would be coming back to Bramlage to play us. Um, my my thoughts on it are that it's it's a totally fine uh, matchup. Cal's not exactly a, power, a basketball powerhouse right now. Uh, granted, none of the Pac-12 really is at this point, other than Arizona. Uh, it has been a real struggle for them in the basketball world. Um, but Cal, it, it's a nice test, a good barometer for the season early on, especially as a road power five game. So I don't have any issue with it. I think it's good. It does take away an early home game, which is unfortunate, but you know, uh, that's fine, uh, especially just to uh, test the team early. I, I like Jerome Tank's strategy with that, at least from what I'm gathering. That seems to be the strategy is to, to get that early test. But I don't have a ton to say about it yet. I don't really know a lot about Cal other than they have really struggled the last few years. So I don't have much else to add other than that. But it is nice to have another Power 5 series that isn't, you know, just a regional team, which I love yeah. playing the regional teams, but it's nice to branch out. Yep. The only thing I have to add is that means that uh, Ish and Marquise have now gone coast to coast at their time in their lives. That is true. That is true. I didn't think about it like that. Because mm. both of them are from, I think, both are, are both of them from Harlem or just both from New York City? Uh, they're both from Harlem, I think. Okay. <clears throat> But yeah, that's that's the men's basketball news. Told you there wasn't much there. <laughs> but now we can move on to what will probably be the meat of this episode. It might be a shorter one, but every single time we've said that, it's it hasn't been. <laughs> so, and there's no realignment news this week. For Maybe now, next, for now. Oh no, the emergency episode. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh no, but. For if you didn't know, Big 12 Media Day was Wednesday of this last week, yesterday or two days ago. Well, difference between recording and listening times. And every single Big 12 coach, and I believe uh, four players from each Big 12 school, each get to go to Arlington down in Jerry World to represent their schools and ask and answer questions from the media. The representatives from K State were Deuce. Adrian Martinez, Daniel Green, and Huggy Bear, Eli Huggins. Yep. Yeah, those those were the four. I never saw Huggins speak. I never uh, saw him speak. There was like a single clip of 
him being like interviewed by Daniel Green. Like he asked him a couple questions on Twitter and he answered them. Uh, that, that was all I saw. Uh, I, I hope that there's audio because I'm pretty sure that they all take some the podium at some point and answer a few questions, but I haven't really seen any clips of that. So I, I'd like to see what they said and get some sort of account of what they were talking about, but haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves when we go into the individual teams because the brand new commissioner for the Big 12, uh, Brett Yormark, is it Brett? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking of his twin brother for some reason because he has a twin brother. Um, <laughs> we can go over Brett Yormark's remarks right now because he was the opener of the show, him and Bob Bowlesby, not to be confused with Bob Trollsby. Absolute legend. What a guy. What, what a man. What can you say about Bob Trollsby? But <laughs> he also is an owner of the Doom Tank Clan merch. If you want to be cool like Bob Trollsby, all right, that's a reach. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you want to go alternating on this? Sure. All right. So the first thing that, or the first thing of note that Brett Yormark said was that he wants, first and foremost, to increase the Big 12's value and modernize the conference. He wants, well... I should have tabbed it there. So, you know, that kind of sounds like jargon speak and you kind of have to dig through it a little bit to, you know, actually get what he's saying. But whenever he says increases the big 12 value, I'm not sure if this context was in, was in the context of realignment, but it may as well have been. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, right now realignment is going to be the hot button issue. He takes over on August 1st. So, you know, obviously you can have preliminary talks before then. But what I wanted to specifically focus on is modernize because that's something that he did remarkably well at with, uh, I believe it was a NASCAR, the Nets and yeah. Rock Nation. He brought yeah. all of those to more relevance by modernizing them. He took NASCAR from a more regional regional sport to something that has a little bit more of a broader appeal even if I do think that, God, I'm going to sound like a redneck. Even if the playoff system, I don't even like NASCAR. Even if the way the playoff point system works doesn't make much sense to anyone who, you know, is just a casual fan. He modernized it and brought it to a broader appeal. Did the same thing with Rock Nation, with Jay-Z and all the other acts associated with it. And with the Nets, he oversaw the move from, oh, was it Jersey? Yeah, they were a New Jersey squad there for a while. And yeah, moved to Brooklyn. And all of those brought with it a lot of modernization. So I don't think this is just him. I don't think this is just a corporate buzzword. I think he genuinely means it. Oh, yeah. I I think that he means it as well. But uh, this was something that we kind of realized in the live show is that, you know, he, like, something, I'm probably vaguely paraphrasing here, but he said he wanted to make the Big 12 hip and cool, which is like is a good goal to have but then we were asked you know like how do you do that and i'm like oh well you know i i really don't know like like because i mean we do know that statistically uh the younger generation coming up gen z does not care about live sports in the same way that other generations have before and the, the the number of people caring about live sports has gone down generation by generation yeah and so to to increase the the relevance, I, I think that a lot of it just comes down to marketing and branding. We did talk about a little bit of this in the K State level, but that's a bit 
uh, too narrow of a scope for this conversation. I think right now, yeah, the Big Twelve needs to work to revitalize its image. Uh, a big way to do that is to establish an identity beyond uh, stereotypes, because right now most every stereotype about the Big Twelve is pretty negative. Mm. Uh, like no ever defense. since. That, that was the first one I was going to say was uh, ever since the, the uh, beginning of the previous decade, like 2010, 2011, the Big 12 has had this stereotype of playing no defense and it's like not real college football and it's not good to watch. While on the flip side, the when the Big 10 and the SEC have really low scoring games, it's seen as great defense and not bad offense, which, you know, you could look at the Big 12 in the past as just having great offense as opposed to bad defense, unless you're Texas Tech, they actually just had bad defense. Yeah, okay, and, okay. Texas Tech is not necessarily the exception, but yeah. they're 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 the counterpoint. <laughs> yeah, but um, part of it, yeah, is going to be a, a big rebrand uh, and a big marketing push to uh, see the conference in a new light. Um, because especially right now, a lot of people still see it. Uh, and popular uh, popular opinion is probably the big, that a lot of people see the Big 12 as the weakest conference, even with the ACC being really vulnerable and the Pac-12 the Pac-12, <laughs> the Pac-12 crumbling in front of our eyes. Um, a lot of people still see the Big 12 as a very weak conference just because of how it's been portrayed nationally. And all, some of that is just geography because a lot of flyover state schools uh, reside in the Big 12. And uh, Coastal media doesn't really see that in a positive light. So I don't really care what happens to the Big 12. Yeah. So a lot of what needs to be done to modernize the, the Big 12's image is going to be on the conference side and uh, doing not just better, but superior marketing to everybody else, which I, if anyone's going to do that well, it's going to be Brett Yormark, uh, given that he took the Jersey Nets to the Brooklyn Nets, who are one of the most popular teams in the NBA right now. So if anybody can revitalize the Big 12's image as being a uh, a popular conference uh, that's with the times, it's going to be Brett Yormark uh, to do that. I I hope he's able to, but again, there's there's probably a lot of other little things that I'm just not thinking of. There's some stuff that can be done on a school level. Uh, K State, for example, we probably need to stop playing proud of this house we built before every game. Oh, that's which, not happening. <laughs> it's a it's a personal pet peeve. I really. <laughs> I, I don't like it. Replace like it with video- Wildcat March. <laughs> Wildcat March. Uh, if Wildcat March and uh, not even the video, just the song, we could put a different song over it. Just the song. I agree. Uh, I'm proud of this house. If those two things were removed from pregame, I'd have like no notes on K-State's pregame. Best of yeah. really. I think everything else would be like pretty great. What would you replace the song with? literally anything else i don't know like <laughs> just gank it from just gank enter sandman <laughs> honestly sure why not like we're the only college stadium i've been to that uses uh well no that wouldn't make sense for that i was about to say use abracadabra since they play it for third downs the god zombies song <laughs> that would be funny because i've heard other i've heard a lot of other stadiums use uh joker and the thief uh, like in the background of broadcasts, but mm-hmm. K-State's been doing it for over 10 years at this point, I think. Yeah. They were definitely an early adopter. Um, But I don't know what else K-State can do. Part of it is going to be 
marketing more towards the future as opposed to I mean, and part of part of this is the proud of this house video where it's constant reminiscing about how awful case hates history is but like now we're not so bad it's like that might be true and that history is cool but like let's save that for documentaries and not for how we want to market the let's program. say that for the second part of miracle in manhattan yeah now that that is something that we should be doing we should be marketing ourselves in a much different way uh than we currently do which that's a little bit outside the scope of Brad your mark i doubt he's going to care about k-state specifically no he's going to take k-state specifically under his wing i'd allow it um if we got a lot of money that sounds great but (laughs) we get sponsored by jay-z mentions this in a bar you know what that (laughs) that couldn't hurt that couldn't hurt we we'll we'll give him some home field merch when it drops all right uh you can take the rest of that first paragraph there since i forgot to tab it Mm -hmm. um yeah we have a climans remarks here uh i imagine that's what you're talking about no no no. i meant the the other message the one that's up Oh, the Yormark paragraph? Yeah, the Yormark oh, paragraph. Um, so I kind of tabbed it. I, I just got the everything after modernize. We're professionals. Okay. <laughs> um, I I see. I see. We definitely planned this before. But yeah. Yormark has said that he wants to visit every campus, which I is that not standard for commissioner? I think it's interesting that he mentions that. Yeah, like the, the him mentioning it makes it sound like it's not standard, but I'm almost certain it is. Yeah, you think it would have to be, um, but but yeah, I mean like that that should be standard. If it's not, if it's not standard, then cool, I guess. Yeah. Uh, nice that he's gonna at the very least get out and see every campus at least once. I imagine he'll probably be back at some point. Um, uh, he also mentioned realignment in his uh, uh, in a statement, of course, because I mean he he got the job and I think it was he said like a day later. Mm-hmm. Was when realignment started. Yep. Uh, started up again. So he's kind of gotten thrown into it, I think, a little bit faster. I know he officially takes a job on the 1st of August, but I'd imagine that he's probably already uh, uh, learning the ropes as he goes right now. And yeah. he's probably getting an earlier start than maybe anticipated. Um, unfortunately, definitely not going to get eased into it at this point, it seems like. But uh, he did say his top priority is the media rights negotiations and how the new college landscape affects it, which I think uh, that's what everybody wanted to hear, I think, because uh, media rights for the Big 12 will be pretty big going forward. The average fan is not going to think about this 99% of the time because it doesn't matter that much as uh, like the everyday uh, goings of the school, Yeah. Um, at least for the fans, I should say. But it is very relevant for the future of the conference. And uh, part of that will tie back to helping to market the big 12 as getting better. Cause on one hand, I really want CBS to get the tier one rights because I think that'd be really awesome. If the big 12 had the uh, uh, CBS game of the week with the classic theme and everything and get on that network television, which would also be available on streaming. Um, you get a lot of eyes drawn to that game every week. On the other hand, if you're looking for new and innovative, CBS is probably couldn't be further from that. Yeah. So that that's kind of the flip side of that. Probably so better to get Fox for that. Possibly, but I at that point you're going to be competing with the Big Ten for uh, time slots every week. Counterpoint, Gus Johnson. Yes, but I don't think it matters. <laughs> like. like no, I guess Johnson would be doing the Big Ten game every week. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, but 
CBS is probably going to be the best option for tier one, but I'd be interested to see uh, if CBS would be willing to innovate in some facets for that. Uh, one thing they probably need to get Paramount Plus uh, as a uh, streaming service up to a higher standard for live sports, because while the programming itself is actually pretty good, uh, like they present it well, it's produced well, it's mainly just the functionality of the app uh, and how it's set up. It's clearly not meant for streaming uh like live sports and live content it's definitely meant more for going back and watching other things even then it's not particularly great at that so a lot of work needs to be done on that end at least like on the the front end of that but um media rights i mean it's convoluted it's complicated it ultimately comes down to the the end dollar amount and anything over 50 million, I think the big 12 would be happy with 50 million per school per year. Um, I, I think you, you take that in a heartbeat if you're the big 12. Um, but you know, if you add more schools, you have to, to wonder if that's going to be uh, something that adds the payout per school or like takes away. And if taking away from it is worth it just for perception. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of questions there. Uh, that, that's something he actually went into is anything and this is in the context of, of realignment which smooth transition i suppose he wanted he, i think the quote is him from him is saying he wants any addition to be additive and not dilutive yeah which when it comes to media rights first off yeah i if any if i'm going to trust anyone for media rights agreements it's going to be brett Yormark see every single reason why we thought he was a good pick before. And also if like rewind about 10, like five or 10 minutes and you'll hear every reason why meteor rights will be his jam. But do you, do you have anything to wrap up on meteorites before we start talking about realignment? Um, no, I do not. I've said everything I wanted to. Okay. So the next quote in context of realignment is uh, he's exploring levels of interest and nothing is imminent. Uh, Scoopmeister in shambles right now. But yeah. for me, he kind of gave the only answer he really could have without outing anyone. And he, it, it is comforting to hear that the Big 12 is getting interest from more than what we would originally think. Because originally, you know, we thought it was the four corner schools. And I think those were something that was mentioned in the Q&A period. But... The way he worded it made it sound like it was a lot more like we're getting interest from, you know, the obvious one is Memphis. Memphis is probably <laughs> just, please let me in. Let me in. You know, Memphis is screaming right now, but it, it made it sound like they're just the Big 12 has options, which again, that's a negotiating tactic. I'm sure he knows that just like say you have options, even if you don't, so you can drive your own value up. But this is one of the situations where I genuinely believe that we do have options and he's going to find the best ones. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as that. Um, a lot has been thrown around about various schools being interested in various conferences and whatnot. Like, and Probably very little of it is true. It's trying to wade through and figure out who has the right information. But at the end of the day, it's unlikely that this goes as quickly as it did last summer. Yeah. Uh, just because um, the four corner schools, they're probably going to wait through a season. 
just to confirm, the uh, the meteorites are not going to be everything they anticipated. But then again, it's realignment. Weird things can happen. They might hear next week that you know ESPN is going to give them like a final offer of like thirty million a year per school, which would be horrible. It'd be less than what they're getting now, and less than what the Big Twelve would be getting, almost certainly. Um. And you might see the four corners jump ship after that. Um, but then you also have to consider the possibility that, you know, one of the four corner schools end up, ends up deciding to stick with the Pac-12. And then, you know, do you add another school to keep it even or do you even care at that point? Because that's something I've seen get thrown around a lot as well recently is that you don't have to have an even number. Like the Big Ten had 11 for years when they added Penn State uh, in the 1990s. And they didn't feel the need to add another school, which the Big Ten's living up to that reputation right now where they could add Notre Dame immediately, but both of them are totally content to sit and wait it out because neither of them are in a rush. Yeah. And the Big 12 needs to exude that same confidence with its options. Granted, not as lucrative as Notre Dame, but it's still relevant because you know Memphis is attempting add because they're, built, they're completely renovating and modernizing the Liberty Bowl finally. And this is like and the seventh time that they would have tried to get into the Big 12. Yeah, they've been trying over and over. Uh, SMU is probably an option. Uh, Boise State's probably an option. But like he said, you know, is that going to be additive or dilutive? And you don't want to add a school for the sake of having more schools when it might be taking away from the revenue per school. Yeah. And so it may, at the end of the day, make sense to only add two teams or four teams, maybe three or six, you know, it depends on who we can get uh, at what time. And who knows what's going to happen at this point. I'm much less sure of what's going to happen right now than I was a week ago. The only thing I'm still sure of is that the big 12 is in a much better spot right now than it was a year ago. And a year ago, things were pretty dire. As we know, I, I was in shambles and I felt like I caused it, but the Big 12 is doing all right right now. I don't regret adding the uh, four schools we added last year. I know some are at the moment. I do not regret that. I think that was the best move at the time. And uh, you, you can make an argument that we would be in a worse position to add the four corners right now if, uh, if, we, hadn't, if we hadn't stabilized our uh, future prospects back then because I think we'd be seeing even more schools within the Big 12 looking elsewhere. Although yeah. then again... Maybe I'm not thinking as long-term as some of the other uh, Big 12 presidents uh, may be. But basically, the the too long didn't read version of that is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And nothing is going to happen like tomorrow, which fine. Maybe. You never know, Ace. It might. <laughs> Probably not. Probably. I'd say it's wholly unlikely, but. There's always a chance that tomorrow, you know, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, just they decide they want to be in the Big 12. Yeah, they they just decide to give up on the negotiations that they're having with probably like ESPN and Fox at this point. And I'm not even sure if Fox is interested. I mean, they, they, I'm sure Fox will throw them a low ball just like to see if they can get it. Which yeah. there it doesn't make sense for them not to, but I yeah. don't know. Uh, it it remains to be seen. All I know is that the Pac-12 going to be worse off than the Big 12 in the future. Yeah. Speaking of, you got the next little point there. 
Um, yeah, he's not worried about other conferences, just making the Big 12 the best that it can be. I think this is a good mindset to have because uh, especially in the looking upwards realm, because trying to chase the Big Ten SEC is a losing battle because nobody's getting them at this point. Mm -hmm. We would have to go back to probably the early 90s and not add Texas to really uh, make that uh, um, happen. Uh, you probably have to go back then and add Arkansas instead or only have 11 schools or something like that because then you may have a better shot at keeping the original Big 12 intact and then also adding uh, schools down the line uh, like TCU. But uh, I, I think that's a good mindset to have from Mr. Yormark. I don't really have anything else to add there. The next one is that he was looking for quote a win-win unquote situation with OU and Texas leaving, but he just kicked it down the road. And then he refused to answer any more questions about OU and Texas for the rest of the press conference, which honestly, that is probably the best thing that he could have done. Not only because it's hilarious because those schools are basically not going to be a part of the big 12 anymore, but it shows that he's not, he's accepted it which I feel like is the first step to just making sure that we're in a better place. Yeah. Um, I like, it's not worth wasting energy on as a commissioner. I mean, unless ESPN comes to you and offers you like a billion dollars, like to let them leave early, then yeah, you probably say yes to that. But uh, yeah, for the one additional year or whatever, it's not worth keeping them, but it's just, Right now, there's there's contracts in place that prevent them from leaving unless they pay a steep fee, which it seems that Oklahoma is unwilling or unable to do so. So they're both sticking around. And that's that's a good situation for the Big 12 to be in because they keep them around longer against their will. And uh, they still will get something out of it at the end, I suppose. Um, and they don't have to go into extensive negotiations to negotiate a buyout and go through all the legal troubles of it. You know, they, they just leave at the end of the deal instead. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a good perspective for your mark to have. It's uh, the uh, the most simple one, I think. And I think it's the most obvious choice. Anything else is probably unnecessary combativeness. So, well, we'll see. And I do like the... Uh, uh, lack of interest in answering other questions about uh OU and Texas because I they're they're barely members of the conference at this point anyway. So you know why yeah. why be overly concerned with them? Yep. Right, next up is still you. And this is this is one that we're probably going to spend a minute on. Yeah. Uh he did have a quote about NIL. Uh he said that quote there needs to be guardrails and uniformity with NIL conference may need to step in. What are you um, gonna do? step in step in <laughs> i mean i think that he's saying something that has been on the minds of most fans most coaches and most athletic directors and the ncaa is pretty pretty obviously unwilling to do anything about anything at this point um i mean the ncaa seemingly has accepted their fate as a defunct organization that yeah. really just hands out trophies yeah. and <laughs> so I, I like this from your mark, the awareness to understand that there's not going to be an IL legislation coming down from the NCAA unless things get really bad. 
which even then they may not do anything. No, it, um, it's getting real bad with Texas A&M and they're not doing it. Dang mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> yeah. But I did see something today where there's been athletes that have been complaining that they're not getting the NIL money that they were promised. And in some situations where, you know, like they perform a service for a company and then they just don't get paid, which is the flip side of the lack of regulation and guardrails around NIL right now. Because on one hand, it becomes a recruiting inducement. Nobody's doing anything about it on the player side. But then on the flip side of it, you have companies that are using the name, image and likeness and then not giving just compensation for it. So there's all sorts of bad things going on with NIL right now. And your mark is very much aware of that. And I like the idea of being one of the, uh, the leaders in developing uh, conference-wide legislation on what you can and can't do with an IL. I, I like that he's being proactive about it. It doesn't surprise me that's something that's on his mind that he wants to be proactive about. But what are your thoughts on it, Ace? Honestly, the joking response of what are you going to do and then the answer being step in that kind of describes my thoughts on it to where really the most that I could see him doing without raising a gigantic fuss is just like giving some like, Hey, like this one weird niche case, like is illegal. You can't do that now. That's really the most that I could see with it because there's already, unless they mandate it in a different way to where it's not restrictive in a sense to where it has, it, it has to be okay. Um, if one, like if K-State has their Wildcat NIL collective, there has to be a Red Raider NIL collective. That's the only way that I could see the conference stepping, stepping in in a way that's not restrictive and that wouldn't immediately cause backlash. But even then, I, no, I, so, I, so- I don't see them stepping in. Something that I think that they could do is in the absence of the NCAA doing anything about it being a recruiting inducement is the Big 12 being more active in punishing uh, schools from other conferences uh, in a legal sense. I'm not sure there's anything I can actually do about this for tampering uh, with players from within the conference uh, and using NIL as a recruiting inducement. Especially. <laughs> Yes, and especially <laughs> as long as the NCAA is unwilling to do something about it, I wouldn't be shocked if the Big 12 may try and make uh, some sort of like uh, inter- multi-conference agreement uh, where they're willing to penalize member schools that use NILs of recruiting inducement uh, across conferences and within conferences. That would take a lot of coordination, a lot of good faith, but I can see a situation where the Big 12 would at least be interested in pursuing something like that. I don't know if that's realistic or not, but that's one of the first things that comes to mind with NIL legislation within a conference is wanting to prevent uh, bigger schools from tampering with players to get them to enter the portal uh, early rather than them entering the portal and then being recruited naturally, which, I mean, I mean, we, we know that, no, tampering is pretty rampant right now anyways. Uh, so there, I'm not sure if that's something that would ever be pursued by conferences, especially the Big Ten and the SEC, because they see it as a big advantage that the NCAA is asleep at the wheel because they can get up to even more legal activities that they sure do enjoy. And, you know, it's, it's beneficial to them. 
uh, to not have that oversight because then they can continue to, to pick on the little guy um, and take the best players out of smaller conferences. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not particularly realistic. It'd be cool, though. It would be. I, I would enjoy it, but I, I, I guess I won't hold my breath on it. Yeah. The next thing is he mentioned wanting to use social media more, which time out before I read like the rest of this point, he hasn't tweeted since 2019, <laughs> but I, I think, okay. I think he, okay. That, maybe that's not true. Maybe he's had one or two tweets since 2019. That's just funny. Like it doesn't mean anything. It's just kind of funny, but he said that using social media will help build the brand and connect more with fans as well as helping with, aspiring athletes because let's be honest and i would be this exact same way and i feel like most people who say otherwise would be lying if i were a three-star recruit a four-star recruit i would absolutely be clout chasing on social media are you kidding me (laughs) i absolutely would be doing that i don't think there are a lot of people who wouldn't and i think having that active social media presence which you know, granted, you in in, a, in an official capacity, you know, you get a lot of schools specifically, especially with non-revs that, you know, they inject a little bit of personality into it. Looking at you, K-State baseball Twitter person. I yeah. love you. But <laughs> you, you never really see that on a more conference level. And I think injecting a little bit of soul into the, the Big 12 in terms of social media I, I think that's nothing but a good thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, something that I've seen get brought up a little bit uh, on Twitter is the idea of there being uh, more Big 12 content uh, where like, like the SEC has the SEC network. and But on there, even when there's not games being played, they've got stuff rolling like SEC storied where there's like documentaries about sec specific things where they can like use propaganda to make their conference seem better (laughs) and it's like one hand it's really annoying that espn is providing that like uh platform for the sec to just continue to like increase its like standing on the other hand we should be doing that too because you know if other schools and other conferences are going to do it we should be also participating in that and building uh the notoriety of the big 12 and uh the history of the big 12 as well um so that's that's a way that it can be done. Uh, and then just being social media savvy, because right now the Big 12 doesn't really do anything notable on social media other than like very generic posts. Uh, you know, like, oh, these are the conference players of the year. You know, like yeah. this is the schedule for the upcoming year. And they like occasionally have some stuff, but it's not really inspired. And it, it's it's fine. It's mediocre, I guess. But I I would like to see the Bay 12 really market itself as a, a bigger brand, even maybe even a bigger brand than it truly is because that's just necessary nowadays, I'd say. Yeah. And I, I'd like to say I did this on purpose, but you get the last one. <laughs> nationalize the brand that that's kind of like the crux of everything we've been talking about uh, is building the brand of the big 12. Everything comes back to marketing and building the brand. A lot of that will be the play on the field, but also a lot of that is making sure that people see the play on the field. Uh, like 
Deuce Vaughn, you know, he's finally getting the recognition he deserves, but it's been slow and late, I would say. Um, whereas, you know, players at bigger schools and different conferences and even in the conference at uh, other schools uh, are getting seen uh, more quickly. Uh, but making the Big 12 a bigger brand nationally is only going to be helpful uh, to get the Big 12 on more screens, even if you know someone has it on casually, like the Big 12 on casually. Just having that presence uh, is going to be helpful. You know, just having some sort of name recognition uh, for the conference and um, being playing competitive uh, athletics. I'm not worried about that in like basketball or anything like that, but playing high level competitive football. Uh, and where people are seeing it uh, is going to be really important and getting beyond just the immediate geographic footprint and getting uh, to the coast, which hopefully adding uh, the four corner schools, if we do end up doing that, will be helpful in that endeavor. But yeah, nationalizing the brand, I, it's a it's a great goal for the conference. I think most commissioners probably have had that goal for the conference, but uh, Brett Yormark's uniquely equipped to achieve that goal, I think, yep. with his uh, his history. But we'll see. Yeah. In, in terms of nationalizing the brand, I really wanted you to make this joke, but I guess I will too. It, it isn't the, the K-State Marxist joke where it's a, uh, actually, no, it is the, where we're going to nationalize it. The U.S. federal government is going to run the Big 12. <laughs> I, that, that wasn't even on my mind. So, <laughs> um, But in terms of nationalizing the brand and making it a more, us in its entirety thing i feel like we're in a pretty good position for that not only because of your mark having new york contacts and you know the new york media markets but also because we add ucf that's a florida market specifically orlando which is one of the biggest cities in the united states and one of the the biggest i think universities in the united states we added cincinnati who adds an ohio market we had Houston, which adds the Houston market, which may as well be as big as the entire Ohio market. Right. And then we had BYU, who has a pretty national footprint. The Mormon market. The Mormon market. We've cornered the Mormon market. Which, uh, honestly, that's a, that's a good market to have. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. But, you know, we're in a pretty solid position to make the Big 12 and I'm not, I don't have delusions of grandeur for the big 12. We're pretty solidly set up to be the third best conference. And I think that's okay because no one is catching the sec or the big 12. Big 10, big 10, big 10, unless some like super merger happens between the PAC 12 ACC and big 12. But even then we still might not catch them. (laughs) I I don't think there's a universe where the remaining available teams in the PAC 12 ACC and big 12, if you took like the 16 best teams out of those three conferences, I don't think that they would touch the big 10 or the SEC. No, they don't. I truly, I truly don't think. Mm -mm. But yeah, that, that is, Brett Yormark's portion of it, and that's much that's much more than what we have for climbing. It's a lot more than what we have for climbing because a lot of what climbing said we kind of already knew. But the the two things that stuck out to me. Do you want the first or second? I'll take the first. Okay, sure. Um, he said he was drawn to Adrian because of his experience, which like. Kleiman didn't really say much. He said a lot without saying anything. There was a lot of coach speak. 
I mean, yeah. we've heard this before about Adrian Martinez. It's good to hear again. Um, just to remind us that Adrian Martinez is a very experienced quarterback. He's one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is something that we have heard before. Um, and I'm excited to see Adrian this year, but yeah, climbing, uh, media days is famously a place where coaches say very, very little and not a lot is said like of substance, I suppose. We, it's general things for media outlets to write general pieces about teams. It's just as much for the other markets in the Big 12 to write about K-State than it is just, you know, for K-State to write about itself. Because, like, everything that Kleiman says, you know, is is something that probably Kellis Robinette or the Manhattan Mercury or whoever has already written about or talked about, you know, like, Hey, Adrian Martinez has a lot of experience and he's really good. Um, safeties are the biggest question mark. Uh, we're a good team on paper, but you know, we have to go game by game, you know, one and know every week, whatever yeah, every coach we, says. We gotta go one and oh every single day. It's like, wow, that's the most unique thing you've ever said, Coach Kleiman. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't I don't want to sauce on Kleiman most because I think no, yeah. he'd kill me, but also <laughs> Yeah, I'm and I'm not doing this to sauce on Kleiman. I I'm saying this because you know there's unfortunately very little substance normally at big 12 media days just because of the personality of the coaches which Unless is generally and angry but we'll get to that later yeah we'll get to that later yeah but it's just uh they're they're generally cagey you know they're not going to get up there and reveal anything like particularly pressing about your your team like you're you're gonna go and you're you're gonna say like decent things but i mean if you listen to this podcast there's a good chance that you already knew everything that coach Klein was going to talk about yeah. Uh, like you said, it was a good team on paper, but they need to focus game by game. Other than that, the players themselves, didn't, I, I'd say by far the most interesting interview was probably Deuce. And there's only the, the main reason is the one quote he gave to ESPN, which was he was asked if this was the best team on paper that he's had there. And he didn't really answer the question, but he basically said something to the effect of this is a very hungry team. This is a team that has expectations for itself and it's willing to work for itself. And Deuce Vaughn, he's probably the best person with the media. I don't think it's particularly close on the team. I think he's probably better with the media than climate is. I think that's an objective fact. Like by sole virtue of, I think Deuce actually likes talking to the media and climate does not based on every interaction with the media that I've ever seen with him. He tolerates it. Yeah. But I don't think he enjoys it. Yeah, just don't ask him a question about the McRib. But <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but other than that, the miscellaneous bits of information were Adrian Martinez has tried half of the menu. It's so long. Yeah, I saw that. Um, he he. Uh, I think Daniel Green said that. Uh, his favorite restaurant in Manhattan was like El Patron, I think, which that's a nice sleeper pick. I like El Patron. I've never uh, been. Where's it at? It's in it's on downtown. It's it's kind of slept on as a Mexican restaurant because uh Taco Lucha, which is like vaguely Mexican food, uh El Tap has all like the drink deals. La Fiesta is really accessible. Gordo's. I think Gordo's Gordo's is great. You know, Gordo's, Gordo's. nothing more needs to be said. Yeah. I love Gordo's. Um, but El Patron is like kind of like in downtown where like normally like you'd expect to go for 
like a bar and grill or pizza or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a solid Mexican place. Uh, kind of on the edge of, uh, it's like at the beginning of downtown when you're on points going east. It's really oh, good. Oh, okay. Okay. wonder what Deuce's favorite is. Probably Lucha. Most, from what I've seen, whenever a player gets asked what their favorite restaurant is in Manhattan, 90% of the time they're saying Taco Lucha, which is fair. I think Lucha's good. But it, it's... Like it, it isn't like incredible. It didn't reinvent the wheel. I don't think I, I just went there last weekend and I thought that it was like pretty good, but like, I, I, I think that like other places have done Mexican food better now. Yeah. Like Gordo's, which is like just around the corner. I really like Gordo's. Please Gordo's sponsor us. <laughs> Please. Also, if you sad. have my hat give it back. <laughs> You're never seeing that hat again. I've never man. seen that hat again. That. There's no story there. I just left my hat there once, and it was yeah, my favorite. Yeah, yeah, the way we say that makes it sound like there's some like entertaining backstory. There's really not. We went and we ate, and then we left, and you forgot your hat, and I was. Was that the was that the margarita the size of my head? I think so. It was the same night. All right, I had fun that night. <laughs> Connor was babysitting a little bit, but <laughs> all right, that that's pretty much all we have to say about media day. But, you know, except for the wacky segment of the week, of which there are two. Mike Gundy, welcome back to the Mike Gundy segment of the week, boys. <laughs> it has been long overdue since we've done a Mike Gundy segment of the week, which I think we might talk about Mike Gundy more times, like on average per episode than any other podcast, the exception of Oklahoma State specific podcasts, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really odd that we, of all people, do it. Yeah, of all people, us too. But he makes it so easy. <laughs> he does. He's a content machine. He I think really he knows is. what he's. I think he knows what he's doing. He knows I, what he's doing. He stepped onto the had the I'm a man. I'm forty rant, and it was all uphill from there. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, some may see that as downhill, but I we the oh, Aggieville no. Alley Cats, on the other hand, we we see that as opportunity for content. <laughs> Absolutely. So you might be saying, what did Mike Gundy do this time? Well, (laughs) let's just say he had a couple of very pointed messages in regards to the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas at Austin. The first of which was, I don't even remember what he was asked, but he just looked at someone and straight up said, if it were up to me, OU and Texas would have no voice in conference matters ever since they announced that they were leaving. <laughs> you know what? Fair. Mike. Okay. Like, I think like, honestly, the person who's angriest about realignment is Mike Gundy. Everyone else has gone past it. Like they've gone through the stage of the grief. Mike Gundy's started anger has not moved. Yeah. I, Granted, Oklahoma State has a unique position and realignment angry because they are losing Bedlam, which I love Bedlam. I think that's such a fun rivalry, and it's just going to be gone forever right now because OU just like seems to think they're too good for it or something like that. And that really annoys me because we, like, at one point, we were considering going to Bedlam last year. Yeah, and then the tickets and then we were eighty dollars. <laughs> yeah, tickets were going to be crazy expensive. Uh, the hotel was going to be probably just as expensive. 
Uh, it was just an absolute mess. But we watched it uh, together, didn't we? We did. We did watch it. And it was a great game. That would have been such a fun game to uh, to go watch in person. Uh, to, I mean, because the end of that game was crazy. But I get why Mike Gundy is still angry. Um, as I, if I were Mike Gundy, I'd be angry. Which, granted, I don't think it takes much to get Mike Gundy angry. Like, truthfully, like, yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's very specific things that just get him like extremely hot very quickly. Other yeah. than that, I think he's just kind of like a suburban dad to where he, he'll just go like, hey, now, and then just stop. <laughs> yeah, that that seems about right. But oh, Mike Gundy, what what a content machine he is. And also, he specifically mentioned the second point in message was someone asked him about the future of Bedlam. And this is sad because he said the future of Bedlam is one or two years and that's it, which that makes me unbelievably sad because I'm going to be completely honest. You can come at me all you want. Bedlam is my favorite rivalry in college football. I know that that's a hot take because you have red river. You have the game, obviously Ohio state, Michigan, you have the iron bowl. I love Bedlam. Yeah. Bedlam. It's definitely a hot take to say it's the best. I didn't say it's the best. I said it's my favorite. Okay. (laughs) You see, I thought you and said if I, best. If I did say best, I meant my favorite. Okay. Well, if it's your favorite, I honestly would agree for non-K-State rivalries. It's my favorite. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm partial to like Farmageddon and the Sunflower Showdown because I have like personal vested interest. But Bedlam is probably my favorite to watch as a casual observer because I, I, I feel like the hatred is so poignant in those games, even though like OU leaves the series by like some like ridiculous margin it doesn't really matter like because that that game there's like open wounds for it every single year and last year was especially violent i felt like just because fighting for a spot in the big 12 championship yeah they were there was the fight for the big 12 championship uh there was it was really chippy the whole time just because it's a rivalry already and then you have the betrayal by oklahoma of leaving oklahoma state in the dust um, so I, there was a lot going into that game and Oklahoma state wins, uh, phenomenal game. Uh, that was like, that was something that I think we called pretty early on in the history of the show was that that was going to be like one of the best games of the year, uh, in the big 12, if not the best, especially post realignment, which I, that would have been so much fun to go to. I really, really wish that we could have, but it, it just, it just didn't work out that way. Like being a neutral observer in that game would have been incredible. I feel like like having like not having a vested interest in the outcome, but just watching the emotions of of everybody around, like the OU fans that were there, the Oklahoma State fans that filled their stadium. Because that was like I think that was a sellout for Boom Pickens Stadium, which they very rarely do because their stadium's just a little bit too big. Yeah, like it's like, not because like, they don't have a fan base. It's because their stadiums. Like I think, is it sixty? It's sixty. Yeah, it should probably be like fifty-five. Like yeah. if it was fifty-five, they would probably get multiple sellouts a year. Uh, I, I say that with absolutely no backing, but um, no, I feel they, like they would because they're pretty consistently in like the you know like fifties range. Yeah, like it, it, the stadium just like marginally too big, which is like a random complaint to have. But yeah. no, it, such an incredible game. 
That was yeah. a really long sidebar about how good Bedlam is. Yeah, and I'm going to miss it. I'm I not going to miss Red River. I hate watching Red River. But- yeah, I end up watching it every year, and I always feel bad about myself for doing it because, like, I, I truly don't care. It's generally a good game. Like, and there's generally one or two great plays that happen. And normally somebody messes up really badly and it's really funny at some point. Like Spencer one of the, Rattler. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the teams will always do something really stupid in that game. You can almost always count on it. And it's funny. But, like, I never feel good about supporting the media ratings of the Red River Shootout. Because I'll, I'll, like, selectively not watch games because I don't want to, like, give them better ratings. <laughs> Like, or like affect them in any way. Like, the, like I just, I've been trying to avoid the Iron Bowl off and on. Like, unless I'm on like, like a big group or something. I, I can't, I can't not watch the Iron Bowl. Like, I, I can't. Last year's Iron Bowl was really good. I did watch it, but I, I felt bad. Like, cause I remember I was like out. Uh, I think I was back home by the time they played the Iron Bowl for, for Thanksgiving, I think. Um, I was like out eating uh, with my dad for dinner. And then we came home. Uh, cause I, I think that like we left and, and like to go eat, like in the second quarter, we got home and it was like the fourth quarter, I think. And we were really hoping Auburn could pull the upset. Cause we thought that'd be absolutely hilarious. If like six and six Auburn beat Bama, like right before uh, the end of the season, but unfortunately it was not meant to be. And Bama was able to, uh, on the shoulders of Auburn miss missing every opportunity to win that game. Auburn lost that game. They didn't. Yeah. Bama didn't win. Auburn lost. Yeah. Was that? That's just kind of how Bama rivalry games go, where they just like blow everybody else out of the water throughout the season, and they randomly drop one game, and every rivalry game they have is like a defensive slugfest, where they like beat LSU like five to two or something <laughs> like that, and like Auburn is like you know like eight to six. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it's always yeah. some like hotly contested game where like Auburn goes like six and six for the whole year, but somehow they can test Auburn to the brink. Kind of like how Bruce Weber basketball teams always played (laughs) KU really, really well at home, but then we just wouldn't do the same thing with anybody else. So yeah, we also never win those games. We just always get really close to winning. But But that's the first one. The second one is our standard questions, probably a little less interesting. If you were at Media Day and could ask one question to any coach, what would you ask? Do you have one in mind? I, I'm split between two. Say them both while I think of one. Okay. The first one would be me asking Mike Gundy, what makes you happy? <laughs> what makes you happy in life? Just like I would immediately get screamed at or get asked to leave, but it would be so worth it. Just like hearing what he says, because I guarantee you that his answer would either involve a beer grilling slash like barbecuing or fishing or maybe all three. I guarantee you his answer involves one of those three. Yeah, that I'd buy that. Like, I think that I think that that would almost certainly be uh, some of the answers from him. And then the other one was I would ask Dave Aranda in the Big Twelve Championship game. It's like, why did you try to call a timeout when you didn't have one, and why did it work? 
<laughs> I, I, okay. Dave Aranda is not a good interview, but I will say that the way, first off, I can't hate Dave Aranda, which upsets me because I really want to hate everything involved with Baylor, but I cannot hate Dave Aranda. But just the way that he admitted is like, yeah, I tried calling a timeout during the Big 12 championship game. I didn't have a timeout. I probably shouldn't be telling you that. <laughs> like, that's just funny. Like, that's funny. No, yeah, that, that, that is objectively really funny, I think. Um, I honestly, I think I'd ask Dave Aranda a question as well. And I, I think I'd ask him how many times he smiled in his life. <laughs> Not because he's an unhappy person, but because he's just the most stoic individual that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like he has like no lines or wrinkles on his face. It looks like, like, it looks like he's just like in constant, like, like average mood. Like he's like the most balanced person. It seems like, and I wouldn't mean that as an insult. I'd be generally, I'd be generally like, can you count on like two hands? How many times you smiled in your life? Like, I, and if he said yes, I'd be like, yeah, that, that checks out. And if he said no, I'd be pleasantly surprised. But that probably be I, a question I'd ask. I looked into Dave Aranda's like life story. It's actually very, very interesting. If you're really? like, if you're like bored, I'm not going to spoil it here. Like no. it's a movie or something. But like, it's actually a very, very interesting story because he actually medically retired from football and then became a coach. I don't even think he retired in college. I think he retired in high school. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he has a really interesting story. He's a really cool dude, which upsets me because he's a Baylor. But <laughs> yeah, it, it is really upsetting me how likable the coaches at Baylor are right now. Because the lone holdout was uh, Kim Mulkey for women's basketball because she is like horrifying. Like, I, I feel like if I were in the same room as her, like, I would. Uh, I wouldn't like, want to be there. <laughs> uh, I I would. I would want to leave immediately. Like this. Like the like like hair on the back of my neck would like be sticking up the whole time. Like my fight or flight response would kick <laughs> in being in the same room as her. And I'd almost certainly flight. <laughs> and, almost certainly. I feel like I would lose mm, the fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they have Scott drew for men's basketball. He's like an inherently likable person from all from everything I've seen. Uh, gave and, us yeah, Jerome Dave, Tang. Yeah, yeah. He gave us Jerome Tang. Who's also a very likable guy. And Yima. <laughs> And then uh, Dave Aranda, totally likable dude. You know, nothing, nothing wrong with him from what we've seen so far. Granted, you know, there, there could be something we don't know, but I'd prefer if there wasn't. I would prefer that as well because he seems like a really genuine person. And he's probably not going anywhere because of the way Baylor pays their head coaches because they pay their coaches like they're an SEC school. They do because <laughs> they, they have that private school, so they don't have to. Uh, uh, disclose how much they pay so all we have to do is guess it's probably expensive but 20 20 million a year i i was thinking probably like five or six but okay 30 <laughs> okay <laughs> five times six sure <laughs> final offer 35 sure take it or leave it dave. i think dave Miranda accepts that <laughs> dave you drive a hard bargain 40, 40, but I'm, I, I'll have to make some calls to get any more than that. <laughs> Dave Miranda's just sitting there. He hasn't said a word. Dave he's, is... He's trying to say yes to every offer, but they're like, I know I know you probably want more. Dave Miranda's just like... No. No. <laughs> like, you can stop. You can stop. 
please. Also, listening to Dave Miranda talk about defenses is awesome, but that's really all I have to say. I have one final note that's unrelated that I just like I've been thinking about the whole episode. Right now, the recruiting class is ranked 41st, which would be our best ranked class since 2008. Obviously, that's going to change, but I think our closest other than uh, 41 is like 40, like the mid 40s. And I think that we have a pretty good, I think we have a good shot of finishing in like the low 40s, like in the 40 to 43 range, which would be our best class on 24-7 at least since 2008. And even then, back then, they... This class looks like it's like 90% junior college guys because this was the last Ron Prince class. And mm-hmm. he he did the the tried and true only recruit junior college guys. And then they're all gone in two years. And you just have to refill that roster. However, people always forget this. Colin Klein was a Ron Prince recruit. I actually forgot about that. I think most people forget about that because it's like a weird thing to think of because like he doesn't really seem like a Ron Prince guy because we have so because our memories of Ron Prince are so negative. Also, Colin Klein was listed as a pro style quarterback out of out of high school, which is very funny, especially considering that when he got to KC, he was a receiver. Receiver, so, yeah. All right. Well, that's pretty much all I have to add. You have anything else? Nope. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at acedward 0 I am at Connor Baltazar, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to visit the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, Neon Alley Cats, and Doom Tank Clan. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>